I am so excited that you've got this new book out. And I should mention as well, I mean, pretty much all of us know uh, Dr. Lutzer's background. Uh, Running to Win, by the way, 9.30 a.m., his program. You can catch it Monday through Friday right here on Moody Radio. Uh, He's Pastor Emeritus of the Moody Church in Chicago, where he served as the senior pastor for 36 years. And not only that, he's written just uh, so many great books here. This one that just came out, here's the title, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Okay, so Dr. Lutzer, let's talk about, um, we're two years beyond the pandemic. How do you think the culture has changed in that time? Well, I don't think it has changed for the better. What we are seeing is a tremendous amount of pressure being uh, put upon schools and uh, even churches, not just pandemic-related. But, you know, in the book I mention, and perhaps you know this, that the ACLU filed a lawsuit against Moody Bible Institute and about 20 other institutions, Christian institutions, because you see trans people are to be given equal rights. It's easy to say that, but how would you like it if, uh, you know, the School of the Ozarks, by the way, has filed a lawsuit against the government because the housing authorities are now saying that there have to be equal rights. Well, to put this in perspective, suppose you have a daughter who goes to a Christian school and her roommate was born Bert but now he goes by Bernice, and he's to be given equal rights because he's trans. So you can see here that ideas are being imposed upon our culture. Even the present bill that is being debated in Washington, I think it's still being debated, entitled the Respect for Marriage Act. I was talking to the president of a Christian university, And he was telling me the tremendous pressure that will be put upon universities, Christian universities, if this is enacted. And I'm not sure where the legislation is, but I just heard about it the other day. So the point to be made is this. We're living at a time when it isn't simply enough for you to be competent in your job. What you are expected to do is to go ahead and buy into all of these cultural narratives. If you ask for a teaching position, for example, you might be asked whether or not you're comfortable with multiple pronouns, whether or not you're comfortable with the whole trans ideology that is so prevalent. And all of these things now are being imposed upon us. And I wrote the book, No Reason to Hide. I looked at the culture and said, what issues does the church need to think through in the midst of our collapsing culture? So as you know, I wrote a couple of chapters on the whole racial issue because I believe that the Bible does have an answer for that. Transgenderism, how do parents respond to a child who comes home and says, you know, mom and dad, I think I'm trans. Of course, there's also a chapter on propaganda. But I need to emphasize that we did not ask for this culture war. The culture war has come to us, and we as believers can't avoid it. Why do you think the battleground 
is sexuality. Why do you think that is such a huge issue these days? I mean, there's, you know, we look at that and you're thinking, man, there's so many other things. We'll talk about maybe some of the racial issues as, as well here in just a moment. But why is the transgenderism, um, LGBTQ, why is that such a big deal? Because sexuality really is at the heart of much of what we are. I don't mean to say that our sexuality is who we are, but it plays such an important role, especially because God says that he created them male and female. So let me explain a little bit more. Marx believed that there needed to be an economic revolution and that nothing could stand in its way. Of course, he taught that the oppressed had to overcome the oppressors, and if the oppressed were in charge, there wouldn't even be a need for laws. Everyone would live happily ever after. Well, that has come down now to the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution says that there's nothing that can stand in our way, whether or not it is freedom of religion, whether or not it is individual rights, Everything must uh, give way to the pressure of the culture when it comes to sexuality. And uh, because of its power and because of its prominence, you know, there is an insistence here on rights and privileges. And everybody has to declare to the world, you know, I'm trans or I'm gay. And everyone is supposed to bow to that and be willing to submit to it. You know, speaking uh, in answer to your question, all of us as we are growing up, especially though even as older, we're interested in sexuality. Children in our schools are being taught um, perverse things, and in the book I have a chapter on that. Here in the state of Illinois, the curriculum that was adopted is horrible. They are told that these things are normal. They know it isn't. And they deal with issues of shame and guilt. And then they say, you know what the answer is? Because it leads to depression, I must be trans. Hmm. So it's a way to manipulate the culture. It's a way to manipulate children so that they are more easily led into what we call cultural Marxism. In, in all different disciplines. I mean, it isn't just sim simply limited to sexuality. So because it plays such a great role in our life and the sexual drive is so powerful and unrelenting, obviously it's there where the battle is concentrated. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I just noticed in the news recently, the Methodist Church right here in St. Petersburg recently invited a uh, drag queen to deliver the children's sermon during a Sunday service. When I saw that, I was doing a double take. Oh my goodness, Dr. Lutzer, this is, this is insanity. It is insanity. And one of the chapters in my book is, will we compromise with the uh, religious left, the Christian left? And what you find is that many churches are submitting to the very point that we've been talking about, namely the sexualization of our culture. And that's where the battle is. It's not the only battle. Churches are always also being divided over racial issues, to be sure. And um, sometimes when you go with social justice, which is different than biblical justice, 
you begin to divide congregations. But the real issue has to do with the LGBTQ plus community and whether or not we will buy, uh, buy into that whole agenda. And so because of a wrong view of love, I point out in the book that love can be evil. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they didn't stop loving. They just started to love the wrong things. Mm. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of self. So, you know, the popular culture says, well, love is love. Just love. And uh, marry who you love. Well, Jesus said, herein is love that you keep my commandments. So because of a false view of love, the church oftentimes is embracing the culture. By the way, I say in the book, there are three different kinds of churches. There are those who are complicit, and that's the church that you just mentioned. They give the culture whatever the culture wants. There are those that are complacent. They oppose the culture, but say nothing about it. They live in a bubble. And then there are courageous churches who say, you know, Without even, uh, you know, and I have never supported a political candidate or political party, but we are willing to help our congregation think through the issues of the day. And, of course, all of the issues impinge on politics. You know, I mean, uh, the trans movement is political. Abortion is political. Everything is political. Mm-hmm. And yet there are churches that will not discuss these things and help their congregations navigate the collapsing culture. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is our guest. Honored to have him with us here this morning. Again, the name of his book is No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. You mentioned something that I wanted to follow up on. Uh, Social justice versus biblical justice. What is the difference You know, social justice has to do with a whole constellation of issues which are called justice. So you have today marriage justice, which of course is same-sex marriage. You have economic justice, which is socialism. You have environmental justice. Everybody uses the word justice for their cause because once you use the word justice, why indeed... Nobody wants to speak against you because who wants to be on the side of injustice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So social justice has to do with a whole constellation of issues. Now, because you've asked me that question, I'm actually looking through my Bible because I want to go to Isaiah 56 and read a verse. I think I know it by memory, and I'm using a Bible that I don't normally use, so I'm not going to find it as quickly as I normally would. <laughs> That's okay. I understand but that. But yeah. you understand that, mm. because, you know, all of us have a slightly photographic memory. But what God says is this. I'm going to quote, I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, Justice is turned away, righteousness stands afar off, because truth has stumbled in the public square. Hmm. That's what Isaiah said. So the point to be made is this, that biblical justice indicates, of course, that what we should do is to have equality under the law. We should do all that we possibly can to have equality 
in terms of work and opportunity, we should work toward that. Biblical justice also means that we take care of the poor, that we are generous with those that are in need. So we can follow that along. We should be willing to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of others. That is generally what we call biblical justice. Social justice involves a whole other things, as I already mentioned. It involves queer theory. It involves issues regarding microaggression, which are very difficult to define, but what keeps dividing us racially instead of bringing us together. So all of those things are wrapped up in the phrase social justice. You know, I find it very interesting that in the book of... um, of uh, judges in the Old Testament, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't do what they thought was wrong. They did what they thought was right. We could almost substitute the word just, justice. They did what they thought was just and right in their own eyes. So the word justice is being misapplied today in all of those ways. Another word that is equally misused is the word equality. So we have equality. The problem with equality is oftentimes two things are supposed to be equal, but they are not equal. And here we get to the same thing again, you know, marriage equality, reproductive rights, equality, and on and on. So what what one must do is to very carefully understand what words and how they are being used. By the way, in my book, I have an entire chapter on how propaganda works. The purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when confronted with a mountain of evidence, they will not change their minds. Mm -hmm. And that's where I have the discussion of words such as equality and justice. But also, if I might give one other instance how words are used. Many of our universities today have speech codes. In fact, I quote one university where you're not supposed to use the word freshman or policeman, and it makes a list of forbidden words. And then it says, if there's a barber shop in your area, don't say that he takes in walk-ins because you might offend people who can't walk. Now, what we need to do is to take a deep breath Take a step back and ask, what in the world is going on? The purpose of these codes is not to elevate the discussion. It is to silence it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of students self-censor themselves. They have no idea what is appropriate to say. And what was appropriate last year might not be appropriate this year. You know, I mean, can we still go into a restaurant, Kurt, and ask for a menu? Mm, (laughs) Nobody knows. Mm. Can a woman have a manicure? We have so taken words, and we are trying to, and what universities and colleges are often trying to do is to so narrow the realm of thought so everyone goes into this tunnel So they all graduate with ideological conformity, and they are almost afraid to say a single straightforward sentence because they might get something wrong. 
So that's going on also, and that is one of six ways in my chapter on propaganda I show how words are being used to get across certain agendas. You know, I agree that sometimes uh, things are said to stop the conversation instead of to get enlightened about anything. Um, But how can we talk about some difficult topics uh, by sh- with shedding light and not closing it down, how can we do that best? Well, you know, what we need to do is to remind this younger generation especially that love and truth are not enemies. You've raised a question which is very difficult to answer with precision, but what we must do is to be loving, but there are times when, that, when the best um, description of love is to tell the truth, even if the truth is unpleasant. And so I think it has to do with our attitude. If we are judgmental, we certainly turn people off. We've got tons of examples of that in the church and in certain self-righteous individuals which turn people off. On the other hand, you can often be very loving and still be rejected. And so as long as our heart attitude is right and we're trying to help people and they know that we're trying to help them rather than just judge them, the truth needs to be told. Now, in the book, I also discuss the question of should we use multiple pronouns? Mm. I take the point of view that if somebody was born Bert, to go back to my previous illustration, and he wants to now be called Bernice, that's perfectly fine. I'll call him Bernice because names are not gendered. As a matter of fact, there are many couples today who are naming their girls by names that we always reserve for boys, which is okay because names aren't gendered. But when it comes to pronouns, that becomes very difficult because you and I cannot violate our conscience. I don't think that I would be able to call, uh, you know, Bert by Bernice. I could call him by Bernice, but then I couldn't say she or her. Right. And so what we need to do there, and, and you know, when it comes to relatives and all that and children, I don't want to be hard-nosed about this because parents need to find their way to relate to their child. But I would explain. I wouldn't just simply, uh, you know, stop using those other pronouns. I would explain that my own conscience, if you have your truth, which is the big thing today, I have my truth, you have to understand that I also have my truth And therefore, you have to respect my truth, too. And my truth is that I will continue to call you he and him, because that is my truth and the way in which I perceive you. So that's, I think, one of the ways in which we can handle this dilemma. See, this is great, Dr. Lutzer. In your book, you you not only dissect the moments and what we're dealing with, but then you're like, okay, now what do we do about that in light of what the Bible has to say and what Jesus is calling us to be? And so, I mean, that's, that's your teaching. Uh, that's the way it's always been. So uh, I know you're a busy guy, and for you to take the time to hang out with us, it's quite an honor. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Well, thank you, and God bless you, and I thank you for 
uh, mentioning my book, No Reason to Hide. I wrote it to help the church navigate the culture. 